morning. Welcome. My name is Matt. Uh, if this is your first time here, we're so glad you came to worship with us this morning. Um, we just finished up a sermon series through the book of Ruth, and man, we had a great study. If you missed any of those, we actually have a live stream, and you can check those out online uh, through our website or through the app. We actually have an app, too, for your cell phone, your, your iPhone, or whatever, and you can check out past sermon series there as well. We, um, we are a church on mission. Mission View is a church on mission. One of the ways that we do that mission is through um, a ministry we call Gifted. You get these little cards that say gifted on them, and on the back of it, it says, you've been gifted, showing God's love in practical and tangible ways. Now, this is a, uh, a great way to get involved um, here at Mission View Church. And what we do is, as a staff, we put our heads together, we try and come up with, with super creative ideas for you um, to go and give away things. So we've, we've done free car washes, We've done uh, peeps for Easter called Invite Your Peeps to Church. Uh, we had all these, all these crazy ideas, um, but this month we are going to leave it up to you. Pay it forward somehow, and uh, so we are providing these gifted cards for you, and um, they're going to be on the table as you exit. Just grab two or three of these things and um, be creative. Be really creative. We'd love to hear your creative ideas and how they went. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, you know, extravagant tip to your server this afternoon at lunch, or, or maybe it's a gift for your neighbor, a gift basket for your neighbor, just showing them God's love in a practical way. Now, it's, it's not just about, you know, these practical, tangible things. The, the idea behind it is that we as a church would be more than a church that just meets here on Sunday mornings, but we'd actually go out and, and talk to people about God's love. Because God's love has changed us. God's love has, has turned our lives around. And we want to see that happen in other people's lives too. So it's a great opportunity to take, um, you know, what we receive and what we get on Sunday mornings and go and give that away um, to people throughout the week. So grab a couple of these cards and we'd love to hear your stories of the creative ideas you guys come up with. All right. Well, we're going to um, go in a text in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So go ahead and open your Bibles or, or on your iPhone or iPad, you can jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be starting in verse 12. But before we do that, Mission View Church, like I said, is a church on mission. Our mission simply said is this, make disciples. Make disciples. That is it. When it's all said and done, and we stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we're going to be held accountable for how we made disciples. It's the great commission that Jesus left us with. This is what he says. He go, go and share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere, everywhere you go, share this good news. So our mission, simply said, is to make disciples. Our vision our vision is a big, God-sized vision. We want to reach 200,000 people with the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. 200,000 people. That's, now, that's not some arbitrary number that we just pulled out of the sky. When I was prayerfully considering moving to North Canton, I did some studies. I did some religious studies on Stark County. And what I found was that there's around 800,000 people in Stark County. And there's a whole list of religious affiliations in these 800,000 people. But 200,000 people out of 800,000 claimed no religious affiliation whatsoever. 
no connection to any church, let alone to Jesus, we have right here in our city, in our county, an amazing opportunity to share the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the gospel that changed you and me. We have that opportunity to share with 200,000 people right here in Stark County. But we know that it goes way beyond Stark County, right? Summit County and surrounding counties and Ohio and then surrounding states and, and then the missions field all over the world, we want to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. You know what? A healthy church is a growing church and not just in numbers, but in spirituality. That we would be growing in deeper relationship with Christ as we grow in numbers. We want to grow wider and deeper at the same time. Now, here's how we're going to do that. Five things. Five things that I think are crucially important for us moving into the future that God has for Mission View Church. The first one is this. Powerful weekend services. Powerful weekend services that focus on God through biblical expositional preaching and passionate God-focused worship. We want to be a church that comes together as brothers and sisters in Christ, excited about his word, excited about his truth, and excited to pour out our hearts and worship to the God that created us, the God that changes us and is changing us today for tomorrow. Powerful weekend services that, that the band works, works so hard to play skillfully before the Lord and that we as a people prayerfully prepare our hearts before we come and show up on Sunday mornings. It's not an afterthought, but, but as we come together, it's on purpose. The second one is this, intentional community groups. We want to be intentional about living life together, doing life together, because Christianity does not exist in a vacuum. Christianity cannot exist in isolation. We are created for one another, for the Lord and for one another, that we would live out life together. We are better together. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 is going to be all about today. So intentional community groups doing life together, that we would care for each other through the joys and struggles of life. Number three, practical and tangible outreach. This gifted idea that we would be out in our community, that we would be, you know, talking to our neighbors and our friends and our family members that, that don't know Christ yet. In real relationship, just, just having those conversations, being with our community. This, the fourth one is this, strategic partnering. We want to partner with organizations and other churches through the community and church events. We do movies in the park with the library. We do Main Street Festival. We do the Chocolate Walk. We do all of these things. They're not just by accident. We are doing these things on purpose, that we would be out in our community and with community leaders and, and, and showing God's love, that, that we're going to be a church that's not just about meeting on Sunday mornings in these, these four walls, but, but we're a church that's about the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't have a church building. He preached on the countryside to his community. We want to be like Jesus. The fifth one is this, exciting missions throughout the world. And not just us going out on missions like we're going out to Guatemala here in just a little bit in October and next year, but that we partner with missions organizations all over the world. We partner with, I think it's 13 different missionaries and missions organizations all over the world. 
You could check them out on the website, be praying for them, and maybe be praying about going out on a mission throughout the world. Mission View is a church on mission. All of these things, all of these things I, I get so excited about, but all of these things are dependent on the power of God. We can't do any of this. We can't do any of it on our own. It's going to take a miraculous work of God in and through our lives for this to happen. And we have to trust him for that. Mission View, a church on mission. We believe if we faithfully and persistently do these things by the grace of God, we will see his kingdom grow and some of these people we touch will want to know God, grow in their faith, and go and share their faith. We call that our discipleship pathway. Knowing God and knowing others, growing in our relationship with God and growing with others, and going in faith and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Three simple steps, know, grow, and go. Now, discipleship doesn't happen on accident. We have to be proactive and work at it. Knowing God, knowing others, growing in relationship with God and growing in our relationship with others and then going out in the power of the Holy Spirit and sharing the good news of Jesus. Now we believe this discipleship pathway, these three steps, they never stop because we can never know God fully. There is always more of him to know. And there's, we're always going to be growing in our relationship with God and growing in our faith and growing in relationship with other believers. And we are going to continue to go and share the gospel until Jesus returns. It never ends. This discipleship pathway is life journey that we walk through. So, so what does all of this mean for you and me? Why, why am I sharing all this, this stuff with you right now? It's because of what we're about to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A powerful scripture. Paul's writing to the Corinthians. A lot of different things were going on in Corinth at the time. Paul wrote this letter. He, he kind of addresses unity issues in, in the first chapters of 1 Corinthians and tells him to kind of cool it. And, and, you know, they were so caught up in these great teachers that had come and taught them. You know, it was Apollos and Paul and Peter. These guys were like rock stars, right? So they would go to Corinth and teach. And, and you'd have half the group would be saying, well, I'm with Apollos and another part of the group. I'm with Paul and another part of the group. I'm with Peter. And he's like, knock it off, guys. Knock it off. Paul, Apollos, Peter, we are all about Jesus. It is all about God. It is, it is all about the great God of, of men, not the great men of God. I love what Josh said this morning. It is about Jesus here at Mission View. And that's what Paul was saying to Corinth in the first few chapters. And he, then he jumps on, and, and uh, some of the, the um, sexual improprieties that were going on in Corinth were kind of, um, kind of came over from the pagan worship that a lot of them had been saved from. And so Paul addresses some of those things and, and works towards that. And then he gets to around chapter 11 and 12, and he starts talking about the gifts and how the church works together and, and how those things are supposed to, 
to work. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up the story here in 1 Corinthians. Paul is talking about how we come together as a church and how the gifts that God has given you and me kind of make themselves known in the church and in the work of the church. So that's where we're going to pick up our story. And that's kind of a little bit of background in 1 Corinthians. All right, anybody here remember the 1997 NBA championship? Anybody? Come on, Bill. <laughs> My basketball guy out there. I know, right? We hardly remember these things. I remember it, though, because I was a huge Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls fan. I loved Michael Jordan. Now, he, was, he wanted to win championships. He was all about winning championships. He was, he was the leading scorer in the league most of the years that he played. He probably could have been leading scorer any time he wanted to. But what we find in the, the 1997 NBA championship is game six. It's the Utah Jazz, Chicago Bulls, and it's down to a last second shot. It is a tie game, and everybody's looking to MJ. It's all Michael Jordan, right? He's going to take this, this last shot. He's going to win the game. It's going to be all Michael Jordan in the champion, another championship ring for Michael Jordan. But here's what was going on behind the scenes that nobody knew. At the end of game five, Michael Jordan was going to take the last shot, but John Stockton knew it, the point guard for the Utah Jazz. So they run the play to get Michael Jordan the ball, and John Stockton knew what was going to happen. He cuts off the ball and actually steals the ball from Michael Jordan and steals game five. So Michael Jordan, at that very last timeout before the final play is going to go on, you see this video, they show this video on ESPN, and Michael puts his, his hand on Steve Kerr's head and kind of drags him into, and, and he says something to him. And, and you can see kind of the blood go out of Steve Kerr's face in a, in a look of shock. And everybody wondered what, what Michael Jordan was saying to Steve Kerr. I mean, who's Steve Kerr? I mean, you got Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Luke Longley, all these superstars that could win the game, and there's this little short white guy, Steve Kerr. Why is Michael spending all this time with him in the timeout? Steve Kerr was in this interview with ESPN, and he says, Michael pulled me to himself. He said, he said John Stockton's going to come off the, off the ball, and he's going to guard me. He knows what's going to happen. Be ready to shoot. And he says, <laughs> after he almost passed out, he looked at Michael and just shook his head. And you can see the video. It's a hilarious, hilarious exchange. Michael knew what was coming. So the play goes on, and John Stockton reads the play, and Michael goes to a spot, and John Stockton's there. Guess who's wide open about 17 feet from the basket? Steve Kerr. Michael gets the ball and just shovel pass really quick to Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr takes the shot. Money. Championship Chicago Bulls. Here's, here's the really important thing. Michael knew that if they were going to win championships, not just one, but two, but three, four more championships, it couldn't be about one person. It couldn't be about two people. It couldn't be about three people. It couldn't be about four people. It couldn't be about five people. It had to be about an entire roster that in practice, everybody was working 110%. And that on the floor, Michael couldn't take all the game-winning shots, and he couldn't, couldn't make all the game-changing plays. He knew that it took everybody. And that's why Michael's looked at as one of the greatest of all time, maybe the greatest basketball player of all time, because he made people around him better, because he understood it took teamwork. 
and it took all of them. That's really what we're going to see here in 1 Corinthians 12. Let's pray before we read God's word today. Father, we thank you that we can open up your word, your truth. God, as we read it, I pray that, that it would pierce down deep into our hearts. God, that uh, what Paul says to the church in Corinth and that truth that, that is so strong, God, would come through to us today. God, give me the words to share. God, use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The first thing I want to point out about this scripture that we've just read is in verses 12 through 16. It's this, and it's first filling in your notes today. You got the program, there's some notes you can fill in there. The first one is this, God has uniquely gifted you for the good of others. God has uniquely gifted you for the good of others. This is just a side note, but I found this very interesting. Who decides what gifts we get? Who decides? God does. God does. We see it in verses 18 and 24 as we read through 1 Corinthians 12. It's God who decides what gifts we have and, and what we're going to do for him and through him for his kingdom. It's, it's God that decides that. We don't get to decide. The point Paul's trying to make here isn't actually about the gifts, though. It's about how and why we have them and how we should be using them. Really important. The whole purpose of, of what Paul is saying here isn't gifts. It's love. It's love. The church in Corinth was struggling with unity and with purity, and, and all of that talk that I mentioned earlier culminates here in the famous chapter, actually after the chapter we're in, 
chapter 13, and you're probably very familiar with it. It's the love chapter in 1 Corinthians. We hear it at weddings. We hear it all the time. It goes something like this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then we have this beautiful definition, biblical definition of love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. So all of this stuff, all of these things that Paul's been talking about to the church in Corinth, and, and I believe what Paul's been talking to us today about, is we all have gifts. God has, has given you special gifts. You, you are not here by accident. You're not here by happenstance. There is a creator, sovereign God who, who knows every minute of our every day, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he has brought you here right now for a reason and for a purpose. And he has gifted you right now for a reason and for a purpose because we are a church on mission and he's created you to be a Christian on mission for him. God has a mission for you. And what Paul's really getting at, what's underneath that mission, what fuels that mission and purpose in our lives is love. It's the love that God has for you and me that he perfectly described and defined in chapter 13. That's what's underneath fueling and motivating everything we do as Christians, as Mission View Church. Let's think about this for just a minute because I think it's worth taking the time on. As we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, I don't want to point out what was in there. I want to point out what was not in there. What wasn't listed? As, as, as he defined biblical love, what isn't in there? Feelings. Feelings. What our world kind of kind of culminates love to is this, this emotion, this, this uncontrollable, unforeseen kind of emotion that, that we don't have any control over. It kind of controls us. Have you ever heard that I fell in love? Anybody? I fell in love. Or how about this one? I fell out of love, right? 
like love is some black hole we can just fall in and out of. It's not, if we actually looked at a biblical definition of love, it has nothing to do with our feelings. What does it have to do with? Listen, patience, kindness, not envying or boasting, not arrogant or rude, never insisting on its own way, not irritable or resentful, doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices at the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is all, this is all action that we take. Love is action. Love is doing. Love is going. Love is about where, what we're doing with what God has given us. And that's the big thing that Paul gets to. It's really what he's trying to get across to us. If we truly love God, if we truly love God, we will not sit around. We won't sit around on the gifts that God's given us. His love compels us. It compels us to action. I love that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. We are to give. God has uniquely gifted you for the good of others. Biblical, true love. All right, let's jump to the next section in verse 17. I'll read it again just so we know where we're going here. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them. I love that. It's God arranged as he chose. For all, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So the second felony in your notes is this. We need each other. We need each other. All right, look to the left. Look to the person to your left. Look to the person to your right. You need them. And now that's scary, isn't it? <laughs> For some of us, this is scarier than others. Right, right? We are, we are, the church isn't a building, the church is the people you just looked at. We are the church, and we need each other. The people that you just looked at, God has given them specific gifts that will bless you, that will help you, that, that will be powerful working in your life. Now, here's the scary part about that, is sometimes it's painful, we see it in the scripture that says that iron sharps, as iron sharpens iron, it's talking about a relationship with Christians together. It's like iron sharpening iron. Do we have any steel workers here? Anybody? I grew up working in a steel shop, right? It, steel is, is hard, hard stuff, man. It's heavy, it's nasty. I remember carrying huge sheets of metal. And we'd wear these, these super thick leather gloves and everything. And I had this huge sheet of metal and I'm carrying it and I'm trying to make my way to this truck body I'm working on. And that thing kind of gets off balance and starts sliding through my hands, straight through the leather gloves. I had to drop it. And as I dropped it, I looked down, I could see my fingers through the leather gloves. 
It didn't, didn't cut my skin or anything else, but I could have lost all four fingers. Steel, think about this, this picture of iron sharpening iron. It is hot, sweaty, nasty, dirty, smelly, gross work. Now think about that. Being in a relationship with other human beings can be dirty, nasty, smelly, hard work. I mean, if we're going to be real with each other. I mean, we, we could all put on a mask and pretend that everything's just fine, everything's kosher. But if we were actually to really sit down with one another and have a real conversation and say, man, you know, I am really struggling with this right now. Have you ever struggled with that? that? I mean, these are some conversations that we just never have. But we should be having. Because that's what real relationship is all about. That's, what, that's where discipleship, what we talked about early, that's, that's the only place that real discipleship can happen. In those real conversations. We're talking vulnerable conversations. Who is it in your life that you trust? Who is it in your life that you can have those kinds of conversations with? If you don't have somebody that comes to mind immediately, you're in trouble. You need that relationship. You need to know someone like that and be known by someone like that. It's not just me, Jesus, to heaven. That's, that's not what this book teaches. There's a ton. If we just read through one, one of the books in the New Testament, anywhere it says one another's. There's all these one another's, one another's. You're like, what's with one another's? It's those people you looked at to your right and to your left. We were created to be in those relationships. We need each other. If you're not in a community group, sign up to be in a community group starting this fall. If you're, if you're in a community group and you want to lead a community group, sign up to lead a community group. If we're going to grow larger and smaller at the same time, if we're going to go and reach our community and reach the world through missions and still be spiritually healthy. It has to be in real relationship with one another, and we can only do that through community groups. In relationship. Having hard conversations. It's, this, is, this is how community groups should work. I make a ton of hospital visits, and I love making hospital visits and praying with people as they're in the hospital. And I remember I was making one hospital visit. I forget who it was. It's, it's been a while. And, um, but I went to the hospital, and um, in the where he was, his emergency room or whatever, they have just, it's a sheet type thing that, it's not a real room. And I get up to the sheet and I hear voices. And I'm like, who's back there, you know? And, and they're like having, it's their spiritual conversation. I'm like, wow. So I stand out there for a second. I didn't want to intrude. And I'm hearing this conversation. I'm like, man, this guy, this guy's spiritual. Whoever's in there with this guy, maybe it's the, you know, the pastor, the hospital pastor, whatever. And I'm just, I'm thankful. I'm, you know, that this guy's being really careful. I pull open the, the sheet to go in. It's his community group leader. It was Don Adams. He's in there, and he's, he's, he's like, are you ready to pray for him? And I, they're like, oh, hey, pastor, how you doing? Don had already done it. I mean, he, he loved this guy, cared for this guy. He just showed up. He just showed up to pray with him. That's, that's what it means. That is a beautiful picture of the church being the church. That it's, it's not about the pastors going to make hospital visits. Oh, there's Don. Hey, buddy, didn't know you were here. Sorry. But you, you just never know what I'm going to say. But, you, you know, we, um, it's not about pastors doing this. It's about all of us. 
that all of us care for one another, that all of us love each other, that we serve one another. Christianity is about selflessness. We talked about it last week in the closing of Ruth. Selfishness corrupts identity. Selfishness destroys our identity. But when we live out of selflessness, we find our identity in Christ. And we start living the way God calls us to live and doing the things that, that Christ would do because of what he has done. Here it is, man. Not using our gifts is a lose-lose scenario. Your brothers and sisters in Christ don't get the benefit of your gifts. And we don't grow and walk in the joy of being used for the glory of our Creator. If, if you are using the gifts that God's given you, it's a win-win. Everybody around you is blessed, and you are walking in the joy of glorifying God with everything that he's given you. There's nothing better, nothing better. But if you don't, it's a lose-lose. The body of Christ doesn't get the benefit, and you don't get the benefit of walking in the joy of using the gifts that God's given you. We need each other for God's kingdom for God's glory, and for our good. Now, thinking about God's kingdom and the glory of God, Jesus spoke in Matthew 25, and he tells this story. It's a story of talents. It's about this rich guy. I'm not going to tell the whole thing because Adam might use this next week. But it's about this rich guy, and he's going away. This is like the kingdom is like this, this rich guy leaving. And he gives one of his servants five talents, another of his servants three talents, and another of his servants one. He says, take care of these things, I'll be back. He comes back. The servant who had the five talents doubled it. He says, master, here's what you gave me, and here's what I give back. Well done, good and faithful servant. The servant gets three same thing. Hands him six. Lord, look what I've done. Thank you for trusting me. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Servant with one. Oh, man, I knew you're a harsh taskmaster. You're a tough guy, man. I, I buried it in the backyard. Just want to make sure I didn't lose it. So here's your one talent back. And the weird thing is the master, he doesn't say, oh, okay, at least you didn't lose the one. And he doesn't even say, wow, really? Well, thanks a lot. Take the one talent. That's not his response. His response is terrifying. You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ugh what? Like, dude, it's one talent. One talent. 
It's one talent. God has uniquely gifted you for the glory of his kingdom, the glory of God. Now let that sink in for just a moment. The very creator God knew your name before anything was created, before he spoke anything into existence. He knew your first name, your middle name, if you have multiple middle names, your last name. He knew when you'd be born, where you'd be born. He knew who your parents were. You didn't get to choose your parents. He chose your parents for you, for better or for worse. And your siblings, he knew all of these things. All of it. All of it. And the Bible says that he had good things prepared in advance for each of us to do. The very creator God has gifted you. What are we doing? What are we doing with the gifts that he's given us? I don't know about you, but when it's all said and done, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that what you want to hear? It is, it is a win-win when we use the gifts God has given us to serve others and glorify God. It's a win-win. Let's move on. Verses 22 through 26. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Think about that. Indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. Why? Why does God choose the gifts that you get? Why does he give greater honor to the, to, to the ones that we would think would be less? That there may be no division in the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another. That's you and me. That we would have the same care for each other. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Here's what it comes down to. It's the last fill in your notes is this. Everyone gets to play. Super spiritual fill-in, I know. Everyone gets to play. Anybody here remember the playground in elementary school? You're standing out there, and they're picking teams, and, and so-and-so gets picked, and somebody else gets picked, and you're standing there, you're waiting, and somebody else gets picked, and, and then every, everybody gets picked, and you're still standing there waiting. Anybody? Just me, okay. I'm not scarred for life or anything. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. That's not how it works. You are in the game. You have a part to play. And what, we're, what we learn here is that it's crucial. It's not just of any old part. It is crucial. You may think that it's some simple, old, nobody's going to notice. It's not important. Oh, the church doesn't need me for that. The church doesn't need that. I mean, look, they've got it all covered. That doesn't, no. What God has gifted you for is crucial for the kingdom work that God is going to do. If we're going to reach 200,000 people, it's going to take all of us and then some. Man, and partnering with the Summit Church, I love that. Just had lunch with Tom Hogshead this past week. And man, what a great guy. 
loves Jesus, preaching the gospel. Summit Church is growing. There's a kingdom work happening there that we can partner with them and, and serve North Canton. Praise God. It's going to take all of us. Everyone gets to play. You may be thinking that you don't have the goods, skills, or means to help. Know this. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And you are called. You are called. Every one of you. All of us have a calling for the kingdom of God. And God is telling us to use our gifts. Actually commanding us to use our gifts for his glory and the good of others. What are you going to do? God's not looking for a bunch of know-it-alls. He's looking for those who will follow him in humility and with grace for others. After I read this in 1 Corinthians, I have to tell you, there are no excuses. No excuses. As we read in Matthew 25, oh, I knew you are a harsh taskmaster, reaping where you had not sown, gathering seed where you did not throw. What, was the th what did he do? What did the slothful, wicked servant do? He made excuses. There are no excuses. God has gifted you. God has called you. And it's going to take all of us. All of us. God created you for here and now. He's gifted you for here and now. Take that step. And, and I know this, is, this can be really difficult. This is a difficult word because we get to a point where we're in a real comfort zone. The water's just fine right here, Matt. I'm good. And like, it could be really deep over there. The water could be really cold or, you know, whatever. We get caught up in our comfort zones. And what God is calling us to do, what God's commanding us to do is get out of comfort zones. Get out of our comfort zones. It's hard. It's hard. It's scary. We, we don't know, you know, we don't know if there's sharks in the water. There probably are. We don't know what's under there. But God's calling us out. God's calling you out. Use the gifts he's given you for his glory. See what God does. Step out of your comfort zone. So I'm going to leave you with three questions. Three questions that all of us, including myself, need to ask. Number one, where is there a need in the church? Where is there a need in the church? I've already been praying about this for myself. Number two, what can I give? What can I give? And number three, what can I do to glorify the Lord and serve others? The answer to those questions are vital, vital. So prayerfully work through those. Prayerfully work through those. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to use the gifts that you've given us to glorify you and to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I just pray for everyone here today, everyone listening on live stream, watching on live stream. God, right now, 
reveal to them. Open their eyes to see the gifts that you've given them, the things that you're calling them to. God, you have a purpose for them. God, give them the courage. God, give me the courage to step out of our comfort zones into the things that you've called us to for your glory, for your kingdom, and for our good. God, I just, I say right now that I trust you. We trust you, God. If we need to step out of our comfort zones, Lord, give us the courage to do so, that you would be glorified, that we would be changed, and that your kingdom, that your kingdom would grow. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.